In the early 1900s, at the age of seven, my great-grandfather, Max Gerber, emigrated from Bielostok, Poland, which is famous for what? Bialis. <laughs> Food, of course. He was a young boy when he started working in the family junk business in Chicago, which luckily for me did not end up being our family business. But as a young immigrant, he dreamed of building a family business himself, and he made very good on that dream by creating the Max Gerber Plumbing Supply Store in Chicago in 1929, which actually is my family business. So I had the choice to go into the God business or the plumbing business. Sometimes I think it's the same business, but I went into the God business. Four years later, he grew that one small store into a manufacturing company, and the Gerber Plumbing Fixtures Corporation was born in 1932. His very first factory was in a little town called Kokomo, Indiana. Kokomo, Indiana was a place that you would call the Bible Belt. It was the center of Ku Klux Klan activity in the 1940s in this country. And at the end of World War II, he began to bring Jewish refugees over after the Holocaust to the United States, but he also saw something very insidious happening at home. He saw the rising anti-Semitism and racism in this very town where he started his first factory. So my great-grandparents did two audacious and very Jewish things. The first thing was that the earliest recorded Jewish resident in Kokomo, Indiana, when do you think the Jews came to Kokomo? 1845. Jews were everywhere. Not just, I mean, maybe that was the one guy who didn't make it to California for the gold rush, but he stayed in Indiana. So it made sense after my, my great-grandparents met with a small Jewish community in 1941 that that tiny Jewish community needed what? A synagogue. And so my great-grandparents founded Temple B'nai Israel in 1942 in that little town. And each year, one of my colleagues, one of our colleagues from HUC in Cincinnati, has served as a student rabbi in that pulpit. As my great-grandfather looked at the Jewish community and then looked at the larger community where his business was thriving, he realized that there was something else that was very wrong. He was building and surviving and thriving in a town where coloreds could not swim in the white swimming pool. And so he went to the reverend at the time, and he worked with Reverend H.A. Perry and with the Kokomo community decided, we need a community center for the African-American community. And so he and many others built the Carver Center, which is a community center at that time that was for coloreds, and many years later became the place where both blacks and whites swam together for the first time. It's still a community center in Kokomo, Indiana. Six years after the synagogue was built in 1942, they broke ground for the Carver Community Center. Now, I never met Max Gerber. He died when he was only 56 years old. But he knew what was good for the Jews in this country, and it was not just to do good for the Jews, but to do good for everyone in the country. To live up to the Jewish ideal, to be Lor HaGoyim, and to build something for everyone. And I think that's still very true today, for the Jews and for everyone. Fifty years later, in 1993, in a similar small city in the middle of our country, Billings, Montana, which also has a student pulpit for HUC students, that's what they do with us before we get here, this little town of Billings, Montana began to be infiltrated by skinheads, Ku Klux Klan, members of racist groups, and it was hard to figure out how many of them that were there, but shortly after their arrival, hate literature began showing up everywhere against Jews, blacks, gays, any other minority, Native Americans, and 
The chief of the police department and the executive director of the Association of Churches urged the town to react strongly against this hate. And people were afraid, and they thought, if we focus attention on these hate mongers, it will only attract more attention and will encourage them. But the chief of police and the church leaders started a group of teach-ins. And first, only a few people would come, but pretty soon there were Muslims, there were Jews, there were African Americans. Everybody was coming together to focus on educating people about not taking a strong stance against hate. So everyone then got in on the hate, meaning it didn't matter if you were black or Jewish anymore. If you were involved in these teach-ins, you were becoming a target of hate in Billings. The churches became targets of threats and attacks, and everyone started coming together in the community of Billings to say, not in our town. A full-page advertisement was published in the newspaper which condemned hate and bigotry, and one of the largest organizations, one of the largest businesses, took down their major billboard and put up a not in our town, no hatred. More than 100 community organizations placed their names together and said, this is Billings, Montana, it's a place where everyone should feel safe. And things seemed to settle down for a while until Hanukkah and Christmas came. The town synagogue received several bomb threats in Billings, Montana that Hanukkah, and finally the Jewish cemetery was desecrated. Shortly thereafter, two Jewish homes displaying menorahs in their windows were vandalized, and in one case, a child's bedroom window, which displayed a menorah, was shattered by a rock thrown in early in the night, and it landed on his bed. Had he been sleeping there, he would have been seriously hurt or worse. The children's parents, Brian and Tammy Schnitzer, long active in the human rights community, spoke out and immediately, because of what had happened before, the community rallied together. The Reverend, the First Congregational Church, the Chief of Police came together and they said, not in our town. And they said that a symbolic act was needed to make sure that anybody who was against the Jews, against the blacks, against the gays, against the Muslims, against the Indians in that town was not welcome. The woman who was the head of the church council had an idea. She was inspired by stories she heard about 1943 in Denmark, about the rescue of the Danish Jews by Christian Danes. And she suggested that every single member of the community, Christians and Jewish alike in Billings, display a picture of menorahs in their windows. And after that, hundreds of people started putting menorahs in their windows. And then the menorah in the church a rock went through the church window. It didn't matter if you were Jewish or Christian. It didn't matter if you were black or white, if you were gay or straight. If you put a menorah on your window, you were standing against hate, but you were also making yourself vulnerable. They decided that hundreds and thousands wasn't even enough, and so the Billings Gazette published this. I'm going to have Rabbi Fenvis pass this out so you can each look at one of these. In the Billings Gazette was a menorah or as we know it, a Hanukkiah, and this is what it said. On December 2nd, 1983, someone twisted by hate threw a brick through the window of the home of one of our neighbors, a Jewish family who chose to celebrate the holiday season by displaying a symbol of their faith, a menorah, for all to see. Today, members of religious faiths throughout the Billings area are joining together to ask residents to display this menorah as a symbol of something else our determination to live together in harmony, and our dedication to the principle of religious liberty embodied in the First Amendment of the Constitution of the United States of America. We urge all citizens to share in this message by displaying this menorah on a door or window from now until Christmas. Let all the world know that the irrational hatred of a few cannot destroy what all of us in Billings and in America have worked together so long to build.
over 10,000 people took these hanukkiot, these menorahs, and put them in their windows. And they gathered all the children together in Billings, and they started to teach them how to respond to hate. And most of the kids in Billings didn't know anybody who was black, and many of them had never met a Jew before, but they started coming together as a community and realizing that they could fight hate together. They could even be vulnerable together. And on this Shabbat, Hanukkah Shabbat, when the Jewish community came together with all those menorahs, guess who showed up? The rest of the community. The churches showed up, and they flooded the synagogue, and they stood in the parking lot and surrounded the building. And they decided that they would stand there and they would guard the little synagogue in Billings and make sure that the Jews inside were safe, didn't have to be scared, and knew that all of their neighbors were there to hold up the menorah and shine that little light. And eventually, the hate, speech, and the intimidation ceased. And the reverend who stood with the Jews said this. He said, this is almost embarrassing. It's not the Garden of Eden here. We have huge problems, but people are trying. I believe this could happen in any community. This town is a little smaller. The air is a little cleaner. But this is any place. It's not unique here. If it is, we are all in big trouble in this world. I think what happened with this whole menorah thing is that permission was given for people to be good. People are often told that, but in this case, we gave them a way to do that. Winston Churchill once said that courage is the virtue that makes all other virtues possible. And the birth of an organization called Not In Our Town happened in Billings, Montana, and 20 years later, it became a nationwide campaign, and 48 chapters gathered 20 years later in Billings, Montana, 48 chapters from around the country to say, if it's going to happen in our community, this is how we're going to respond. And I know that today, I mean, as I stood with 350 other Jews at a rally when it was pouring on the first night of Hanukkah to say that black lives matter, that the world can feel like a very dark place. It's not just dark in the corners or the closets or the secret places, but it could be dark in our classrooms, even here in the sanctuary when we're at home on our couch. We want this sanctuary to be a safe place and we want this light to shine. Tonight we light four candles and we think about those who came before us and we think about the fact that time doesn't always move straight forward, it goes in circles. And we're going to see this happen again and then we're going to ask the Jewish community to be allies not only to ourselves but others so that we can reach out and ask others to be allies to us. You might get some gifts this Hanukkah. Anybody get a gift yet? Anybody give a gift yet? So it's wonderful to give and get gifts, but we want more from you. We want your presence. P-R-E, E-N-C-E, that kind of presence, or Hinenu, that we can stand up, be upstanders together, and we can light the way to the darkness that in, is in this world. And I want to show you, before I end, this beautiful picture that was taken in Billings, Montana. It's a very iconic picture. You might have seen it before by Frederick Brenner, who's a famous French photographer. I'll pass it out. It's a picture of hundreds of members of the community in Billings, each holding up a menorah. There's cowboys. There's garbage men, there's teachers, there's nurses holding this up against hate. And what you see in front of it is a bullet hole through a window. I'm going to end with a beautiful reading in case you think that you might not matter or you might not be a part of the light that we need. And this is actually a reading that Rabbi Pierce read beautifully last night. Um, we gathered at the Magnus Museum in Berkeley uh, to honor the oral history of one of our congregants, Warren Hellman. It's his yard site. And this is what Rabbi Pierce read in his memory. 
it brought tears to my eyes. Every tree, fruit tree, berry tree, nut tree, brought its offering to God. All were there except one tree, the maple tree. And when God asked the maple tree why it had not come and why it had not brought an offering, and further asked the maple tree what it had been doing all year long, the maple tree answered that all year long it had stood by the roadside, giving shade and shelter to weary travelers, reaching out its branches in protective embrace and dropping its leaves and seed pods upon the ground to enrich the soil for the future. And when God heard this account of the maple tree's constant and loving service, he leaned over and kissed the maple tree. And the maple tree blushed. And that's why, as we all know, the maple tree's leaves are red. Shabbat shalom.